We praise God for that. What a blessing. As we take our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to uh, read about that wonderful God. What a God we serve. He's better than you can imagine. He's more difficult to understand. He's more loving. He's harder. He's softer. He's bigger. He's smaller. He's louder. He's quieter than any other God. He is the best God. He is the only God. And uh, he's better than anything this world offers. Even in America, where it tries to hide its gods, we see you. <laughs> we see you pleasure. We see you entertainment. We see you food. We see you all the junk that the, the world, tried, the devil tries to hide. We see you, and you're not as good as Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. What a great pleasure uh, and, and privilege to worship Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 Philippians chapter 2 is, uh, is where we will be today. We know that Paul is admonishing the believers in Philippi to have joy, to rejoice in Christ, but he does give them a little bit of a reminder in verse 2. He says, fulfill ye my joy. There's something going on at Philippi, even though these folks are saved and they love God, and they've suffered for Christ, and they've been faithful, but there's still a little bit of something that is keeping them from being full of joy. And it is, it's indicated in verses 2 and 3 and 4 that it has to do with how they treat one another. And, and, and as a result of their lack of unity in thought, their lack of ability to be of one accord of one mind. Paul tells them, here's what you need to do. You, you need to let this mind be in you, in verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he explains to him the great descent down from the portals of heaven all the way to Toledo, Ohio. Except he came to Jerusalem. He came to Nazareth. He came to a lowly place, a tiny country. He came all the way down, but because he was willing to be, to be humbled by God, God also have highly exalted him. And so he's showing a picture of how you and I, imagine that. Jesus Christ's journey, his death, burial, and resurrection as the template for how we get along with one another. That's, it's, it's marvelous that God would care that much about our relationship with one another, that he would use the example of Christ himself and say, can you get along with people in your life that love God? Can you learn to get along with believers? Yeah, you can. Why? Because Jesus died and rose again. God hath highly exalted him. And so he tells us then in verse number uh, 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Bible doesn't say in verse number 12, work for your salvation. A lot of religions, churches, We'll say that. No, it says, work out your own salvation. If I have a problem that I'm trying to work out, it's not something that I'm trying to get. It's something that I already have. And in the case of that problem, trying to get rid of it. The case of salvation, when I work out my salvation, it's not something I'm trying to figure out or to work up. I am trying to work out what God has already worked in. The Bible tells us that if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But he said, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. I want to show you an amazing truth. You know this already, but you forgot it this week. Here it is. Verse 13, it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When Jesus was baptized, a, a voice appeared, a voice was heard from heaven. When that dove appeared, the voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I, what does it say? 
am well pleased. Who pleases the Father in all things? Who has always pleased the Father? Jesus Christ. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John go up, and a voice from heaven was heard saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Let me ask you a question. This week, with what you watched, the attitude that you had, the mental patterns that you repeated, the interactions you had with other people, with where you went, with what you touched, did you please God? Okay. That's a big, that's a heavy burden, isn't it? But I want to show you something. It is God which worketh in you. If you are a child of God, you have been born again. And guess who was born in you? Jesus Christ himself was born in you. Not in the physical sense, in the spiritual sense, in the spiritual realm. If Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness do you have? You have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So as a believer, you have two things, and those, those tracks run side by side into infinity. Well, one doesn't run into infinity. One runs until you die. That track says that old nature is sinful and it doesn't please God. It doesn't do what's right. It does what's wrong. It does what it wants to do. And that track runs all the way to the end of your life. You will never lose that old nature. Never. It will always be there. It doesn't have to run your life, but it will always be there. But on the other side, there's a track that runs into infinity. And that track is the nature of Christ in you and it will never displease God. It never has displeased God. And it never will. So you can answer, Christian, this morning. Did you do anything that displeased God this week? And I'm glad to tell you, you can say, in Christ, I did not displease my God this week. What a blessing to have that as, as, a, as a child of God. You see, we struggle with it. Why? We think our real nature is that old nature. Why? Because that's what we, we've known all our life. Can I tell you, believer, your real nature is the nature of Jesus Christ, the new nature. That's who you really are. Well, people come along and they say, oh, no, you, you know, you can get rid of the old nature. People say, oh, you can't get rid of the old nature. And we as Baptists, we know that for real, don't we? You can't get rid of the old nature. But let me, let me remind you of something. Sometimes the old nature is more real and more powerful to us than the nature of Christ in us. We actually think it has more power. We actually think, as far as God's concerned, he's, he, he really puts more value on whether or not I have yielded my body to him. How, how am I doing in my old nature? If you were dependent on your old nature... In order to please God, you could never get to heaven. Now, you may not sin today, but what about tomorrow? And how many of you realize you may have gotten a few things figured out, and then you forgot about that whole other list that you never even knew about? I mean, before you were saved, you're more, more concerned about, you know, the things that you did physically. When you got saved, thank God I quit this and I quit that physically. But, you know, you didn't even think about the stuff that you were doing in your heart. You know, children of God, God's more concerned with what's going on inside. So maybe you get rid of the physical stuff, but what about the, what about the stuff that's inward, right? That old nature is real and it's powerful, but I'm going to remind you, according to Romans chapter 6 and 7, it is dead and it cannot bring you under its power anymore. It's basically someone who's yelled at you all your life and you listen to it and so you think it's in charge and it's not. The nature of Christ in you has never sinned and never will. That's the only reason why you can go to heaven, because you have the righteousness of God, which is by faith. I don't come to God and say, well, I just can do whatever I want now because I have the righteousness of God. Well, you always had that ability, and we typically take that option. I'm not saved because I said, no, my old nature is bad. I'm going to stop doing bad stuff. 
I'm saved because I said my old nature is bad. I can't stop doing bad stuff. But you said you would give me your righteousness. And so I received the righteousness, which is of God, by faith. It's the best deal that's ever been. There is no coupon. There's no, you know, 24-hour sale that has ever been a better deal than the righteousness of Jesus Christ for free. And what did I give in exchange? My dirty, old, rotten nature. That's what we have. So you can know that you're going to heaven. Not because you've stopped sinning. You can know you're going to heaven because Jesus Christ has never sinned and never will. He died, and in addition to that, mind-blowing, he died for the sins that he didn't do. He died for my sins. And so I accept what he did for me, and now he gives me his righteousness. And the devil comes along and says, you can't live the Christian life. You can't be happy. You can't have joy. He's a liar. He is a liar. And your old nature learned well from its father. It knows how to lie. Even people who have been saved for 50 and 60 years still Listen and believe the lies that their old nature tells them. You have to have it. you got to have it. No, you don't. Our text here this morning is encouraging us to work out what God worked in. The Bible says here, not work for your salvation. He said, make it outwardly evident that you are saved. Now, the process of human maturity is, is learning to parent yourself when your parents are not around. If you're any kind of a good parent, you are concerned about your children's obedience. And if you're any kind of a good kid, you obey when your parents make you obey. Hey, and that's a great thing, isn't it? It's great to see when kids obey their parents. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not child abuse when you don't give your kid everything that he or she wants. You've got to make them obey. They've got to learn that if they don't obey, there's going to be a problem. The process of spiritual growth is similar. It's not learning to gain character and be a parent to myself when no one's around. It's recognizing that God has already put everything in me that I need to please him. And he wants me to work it out. So God put it in there. I did not put it in there. God put it in there. But God's not going to bring it out. I've got to bring it out. I'll give you a basic example. God's not going to make you read your Bible. Now, some people think, well, I know, you know, I got in a car wreck, and now, I mean, God just wanted me to read my Bible. God wanted you to read your Bible before you ever got in the car wreck. You say, well, God's making me do it. Maybe he is. But even if God makes you read your Bible in the hospital after the car wreck, it doesn't mean that you're going to keep reading it. He's not going to keep putting you in a car wreck the rest of your life. At some point, you and I have to pick up what God's given us and do something with it. We've got to work out what God's worked in. How do we do it? Number one, stop living a double life. That's what he said. Look at verse number 12. Wherefore, my beloved... He said, my beloved, my beloved. He loves them. This is from the heart of God through the heart of, of the Apostle Paul. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Did you notice here, you've got two different kinds of obedience. A double life comes from having two kinds of obedience. There is obedience in the presence of leadership and authority, Right? That's, he said, as in my presence, that's the presence of your boss, the, the presence of your spouse, the presence of, uh, of, of other Christians, of, of your pastor. You know, I love Brother Jay Folk from Old Pads. He always says, you know, he, he and his wife will be teasing around and uh, she'll, she'll say something like, I don't know, I don't know, Jay, I don't think we should do that. And he said, Linda, I told you not to disagree with me in front of the church people. <laughs> Right? And sometimes that's the way it is. It's like, man, we look great on Sunday morning. Great. And, 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 and I'm glad you dress up. I'm glad you took a shower. Amen. I'm glad you put on deodorant. It's great. But there's another kind of obedience, and that is obedience in the absence of those leaders. 
He said, not as in my presence only. You should do that. Now, some people say, I, I, I just want to be honest and sincere, so I'm just a rebel all the time. No, it, it's, it's good for you to obey in the presence of your leaders, of your authorities. God's put you there, put in your life. But then God wants you to do the same when that person is not around. This is a great, a great theme. What will the person do when no one is around? Television shows are made about this. There's a great book by Dr. Seuss about this. The Cat in the Hat. Remember the cat in the hat? Does anyone remember that? Amen? Okay. Uh, so the kids are they're home on that cold, cold, wet day. Right? Mom goes away, and all of a sudden, who shows up? The cat in the hat. And what does the cat in the hat say? He said, I know some good games we could play, said the cat. I know some new tricks, said the cat in the hat. A lot of good tricks. I will show them to you. Your mother will not mind at all if I do. Well, mom's not around. How do you know? But it's, it's kind of interesting. Dr. Seuss, he wasn't a saved man, as far as I know, but he certainly understood the role of temptation. Then Sally and I did not know what to say. Our mother was out of the house for the day. But our fish said, no, no, make that cat go away. Tell that cat in the hat, you do not want to play. He should not be here. He should not be about. He should not be here when your mother is out. Dr. Seuss said that the fish, he once said, the fish was a representation of a preacher named Cotton Mather. Isn't that interesting? And, and he said, when, you know, somebody saying, you're not supposed to do that. Mom is gone. You're not the boss of me, is what I would say to the fish. Number one, you don't talk. You're a fish. Stay in your bowl and stop telling me what to do. Right? Well, I can do what I want. Why? Because mom's not here. I can do whatever I want because nobody nobody's here. It's interesting how living a double life depends on being in two different places with two different sets of rules. I don't mind doing what I'm told to do. Why? Because it's better than getting yelled at and getting told, you know, frowned at and people saying, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just behave like your older sister or brother? Why, why can't, what's wrong? What's your attitude? What's going on? Okay, I'll do what I have to do. But when, I'm, when it's me standard time, okay, forget it. I'll do what I want. I don't have to listen to anything you say. The process of spiritual maturity is recognizing that I should not be living a double life. I should not have to hide my phone. I should not have to erase my browsing history. I should not have to make up something. Where were you? I was out with the boys. You haven't had any friends since high school. Who are you lying to? (laughs) What are you doing? We're living a double life. So what happens? The cat in the hat comes, and guess who comes with the cat in the hat? Anybody? Thing one and thing two. And I, where they, they just show up. And this is life, man. Thing one and thing two show up. And what do they do? They have all kinds of tricks, all kinds of games, have all kinds of messes. And guess what? You find out, the Bible says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. No, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived... Hmm, it's interesting. It's not just me anymore. There's something else involved. Because what happens is, when you allow the cat in the hat, now forgive the illustration this morning, okay? Just roll with me. You actually listen better when I do things like this. (laughs) I mean, the Bible's great and all, don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's, Dr. Seuss knows where it's at. When When you let the cat in the hat in, because you're bored, he doesn't stop with just him. He brings in other people. He introduces you to stuff that you'd never heard before, never thought about before. Why? When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. There's more that comes along as a result. Why? That double life is this. Oh, I know I should, and I know I, and I will, and by God's grace, I'm going to someday. But meanwhile, I'm going to do whatever I feel like doing. Why? Because I want to. So what happens? 
<laughs> they come, they're playing, they're having fun. All of a sudden, you see the high heel step into the screen. Mom. Mom's back. And so, so do something fast, said the fish. Do you hear? I saw her, your mother. Your mother is near. So as fast as you can, think of something to do. You will have to get rid of thing one and thing two. That explains. That right there illustrates a lot of Christians' lives. Here they, they're coming. Put it away. Erase it. Oh, no. Look good. Put on a tie. They'll never suspect if you wear a tie. <laughs> oh, man. That's because it's human nature. What do we want to do? We want to just do what we want to do, but sometimes we know life is hard, so sometimes you've got to play like you really care about God. When people are around, you got to do because they will. I mean, you know you're living a double life sometimes when your authorities rankle you, when you are irritated around them, when your spouse bothers you, when your boss is just nothing but a jerk and you can't stand him. There's a good chance that you're living a double life. When your parents bother you, everything they say, you roll your eyes, you roll out of your out of your head and down the street and go to your bed and pull the covers up. That's how far your eyes roll. Why? Because we can't get away with what we want to do. Hey, listen, if 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 you want to rejoice, if you want to enjoy your life, I'm going to start with one suggestion. Stop living a double life. Stop trying to be one thing when good, the good people, the church people are around, and then something else when you're by yourself. You're hiding, you're hiding, you're hiding. Why? Because you have a double life. If the people on your job would describe you differently than the people at church would describe you, you are a phony. If your family members know a different person than the church people know, you are a fraud. And here's what's happening. You're not hurting the world by playing along with the world. You're not hurting them at all. You know who you're hurting? The gospel of Jesus Christ. You're hurting the church. God wants you and I to be outwardly what he has already made us inwardly. Why? So your family can see it. So your friends can see it. So your co-workers can see it. How about this? So you can see it. You can see that Jesus Christ makes a difference. And if he doesn't make a difference to you, he ain't going to make a difference to anybody else in your life. God's looking for a man, a woman, a boy, a girl, anyone whose outward testimony and character matches their inward profession of faith. So how do you stop living a double life? Well, here's how you do it. You do something with what God gave you. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you're taking notes, number one, stop living a double life. Number two, start, uh, do something with what God gave you. What did he give you? He, he get, what did he give you? He gave you his nature. He gave you the nature of God. The spirit of God is in you. You are saved because you have Jesus inside of you. The Bible tells us that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith. Where does he live? He lives in us. And he says, work out, verse number 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's something that you own. He's given it to you. Now work it out. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, look at verse 22. He says, servants... Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Notice, eye service. What is that? I serve according to what I see. I serve when I see you walk in the door. Here I am. You know, it's, it, they said, you know, the, 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 there's a bunch of, a group of city workers went out to, uh, to work on the road. And uh, they were out working. Dad used to tell this story. It's great. He, uh, he, he, the, the city workers all go out to fix the road. And uh, after a while, 
as they went out there, they realized, oh no, we forgot our shovels. We forgot our tools. And so they they radioed back to the boss, and the boss said, hey, um, don't worry about it. He said, we'll send you some shovels right away. But he said, in the meantime, you can lean on one another. (laughs) That's terrible, isn't it? If you work for the city, you know it's true. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But, 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 but sometimes that's, that's the way it is. We, we, we are just basically saying, hey, we'll work when people are looking, when people are watching. I'll start doing what I know I'm supposed to do when I, feel, when I hear the door open. Oh, mom's home. Or, or of course, you know, we don't do that as, as men. You know, we don't do that anymore. You ever find that? Oh, my wife's home. It's because we do not work out what God has worked in. Here's the solution. Colossians 3. He said, Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers. That's the reason why we do it. We are simply trying to please men. And when men are not around, I don't care to please them. But the beautiful thing about having the Spirit of God inside, is He's with me all the time. When do I want to please God? I should want to please God whenever He's with me. Well, when is He with me? All the time. All the time. Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart. Here's the solution to that double heart. Unify your heart by fearing God, whether you're in private or whether you're in public. Now, there's some things that possibly someone here this week in this room has done this week that you would never do in this building right here. You would never, ever even pretend to do that. You you don't want anyone to ever think that you would be capable of doing that. Well, I'll ask you a question. Why is it okay for you to do it in private? If it's not okay for you to do it in private, then you really need to look at whether you should be doing it at all. If, if you couldn't take Jesus Christ with you to go to that place and do that thing, you should not be doing it. Christian, you should not be doing it. And don't, don't listen to the lie of the devil that says, well, I think there's a lot of different Christians who have a lot of different ideas about a lot of different verses in the Bible, blah, 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 blah. You're trying to live a double life. You're trying to have two separate realms where you've got your church people, and they're all a little bit dorky and weird, and we just got to make sure we got to praise Jesus when we're around them because they look down on you if you don't dress right and do right. And I am so tired of hypocrisy, and people are so hardcore in on me and the things that I do. Let me do what I want to do. Okay, well, I, I, okay, you are right. Church people are hypocrites, just like everybody else. You are right about that. But how are you not being hypocritical when you don't even think about Jesus Christ who loved you and gave himself for you and you're going to be with him for eternity. But I just don't want you around like today. I just don't want you around like during this thing. I mean, I'll pick you up. Don't worry. I'm coming back to visit you, Jesus, on Sunday. I will come back like he's in the nursing home or something. All right? I'll be back. We'll get together. We're going to have a great time. Jesus is going to be awesome. I'll catch up with you. I'll catch up soon. But right now, I ain't got time for Jesus. Listen, I'm not talking to you about, you need to be like Jesus. You need to be like Jesus. If you could just remember this, Jesus is with you wherever you go. <laughs> wherever you go, he's with you. The Bible says, shall I take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? Whoa, he decided to just bring the heat on that one. He, he, I mean, What? Jesus is present in fornication? He said, God forbid. God does not want that to be. But guess what? It is. Because if Christ is with you, he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And thank God for that truth when times are difficult and we need comfort and help. But it's also true when we don't want God around. We don't want God's people around. We don't want anything to do with the Bible. We want to deconstruct our faith and get it all the way down. Listen, Jesus is with you while you're doing that. 
He's with you everywhere you go. He's with you when you're like, oh, finally, in the car, hermetically sealed compartment where no one even knows that I'm a human. Crank up the tunes and I can sing whatever I want and say whatever I want and do whatever I want. Why? Because I'm by yourself. No, you're not. You're not by yourself. Christian, you may have the best noise-canceling headphones in the universe. I mean, you can't shortchange yourself on a good set of cans. I mean, you might be out here with those bad boys. And ain't nobody exists in the world. And you're bumping all day. Guess what? Jesus is listening to it with you. (laughs) It's too much. I mean, it's too much to even imagine. It's too much. We don't want that to be true. We want it to be true that Jesus is always with me when I'm feeling holy. But when I ain't feeling it, I don't know what happens to Jesus. I'm not sure where he is. I'll tell you where he is. He's sitting there miserable. That's where he is. He is with you. You have grieved his Holy Spirit. What does God want us to do? Stop doing that. It's very simple. Stop being an idiot. Stop doing things that you know Jesus is not happy with. I don't understand. I don't understand. Yes, you already know. You already know. Because he said, not as in my presence only. You don't do that when mom's around, when your spouse is around. You don't act that way and think that way and you don't talk that way when you have people that you respect and you think would never do that because it's probably wrong, but they're not me and I'm different. I'm special. But when they come around, you don't do it. You already know how to stop. So stop it. Stop listening to that music. Stop watching that junk. Stop clicking on that website. Stop eating that stuff, whatever it might be that your flesh says, I can't, I just, it's my DNA, it's my genes, it's my blah, blah, blah. You stop when other people come around. How many of you are like me? Oh, oh, my office is a little bit of a mess. Our house is kind of, we've just been real busy. It's always a mess. Right? You're always too busy to do. But when people come around, you feel like, oh, let me put this over here and put those flowers in a vase. Why does it matter? You already know how to change. You just have to remember this. Jesus is always with you all day, every day. And if you recognize that, you'll stop living a double life. Singleness of heart. Singleness of heart. Not a special way that I act when some people are around and I stop acting that way. Now, you understand what I mean. I'm a literalist. I push things all the way to the far end. Of course, you are going to treat your mother-in-law, you know, the right way. There are certain times and places, of course, where you're going to add a little bit of sugar. And when I wake up in the morning, I'm not like, good morning, sweetheart. It's great to see you. I'm so thankful to God for bringing you. I mean, I've said that to her, but in the morning, ain't time for that. Right? (laughs) He's like, how you doing? That's, but that's what time it is, okay? But, I, but, but you understand what I mean here. God's not expecting you. Maybe sometimes you put on the dog too much when people are around that God never expected you to. So maybe God wants you to kind of even that out and unite the different factions of your heart to please God. Step one is obey, if you're going to do this, unify your heart. It is important, I think, to remember, he congratulated them for obeying in his presence. That is step one. If you're an out-and-out rebel and you don't care, and you're up in everybody's grill all the time, you need to learn to obey in the presence. You're here this morning. You're at church. You made a great decision. You're around the people of God. You put yourself in a place where you, your old nature would be challenged, would be, would be pressured to conform. Well, I don't like that. Well, people are trying to pressure you all day and conform you all day. But he said, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So it is possible for you to learn to do this by step one, obeying in the presence. If you're just a, 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 a you know, anarchist, you need to learn to obey in the presence, but you got to go past that. Obey in absence. Obey in the absence. In absence of who? Absence of beloved leaders. 
You know, one of the challenges when a kid leaves home is learning to obey, even though mom and dad are not saying, do this, don't do that. They have to learn to obey in absence. But what's beautiful, look at Philippians chapter 2. What's beautiful about this is verse number 9, verse 8, Philippians chapter 2. Christ is our example in this. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became, what's the word? Obedient unto death. Christ pleased his father and then left his father in the, away from the presence of his father. In his father's absence, he became obedient. The Bible says he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Christ himself is our example. Christ did it. You can do it. Christ enjoyed the fellowship of his father more than you and I have ever enjoyed the fellowship of our parents or leaders or authorities. He distanced himself from his father on purpose, and he became obedient. What you're doing, though, here, what you're doing then is obeying the invisible word, not the visible word. You're obeying the invisible word. Take your Bibles to John chapter 16. Look at verse 7. John 16, 7. How are we doing this morning? That bad, huh? I tell you one thing, I'm having a time. 17, uh, 16, 7. Nevertheless, he said, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you. 16, 7. It is expedient for you. It's better for you. It'll make you go faster. It'll help streamline you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Look at verse 13. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you all things to come. You will have the Holy Spirit with you even when Christ departs. A double life is unnecessary. But you've got to do something about it. You've got to work out your salvation. Work it out. And start by unifying your heart. Start by getting rid of that double life and then work it. Work. You know what people have in their minds when they go to the gym? It's something other than what they are. Or perhaps in some cases, with the extreme examples, it is a person that they want to remain. They have in their minds an idea, an ideal body shape, an ideal muscle strength that they are looking to accomplish. The beautiful thing about what Christ has given us is that we are not trying to imitate Christ. We are working out what he has worked in. You want to be like Christ? You don't have to worry about being like him. He's already in you. He said, work out the salvation that he has worked in. God doesn't want us to just receive his imputed righteousness. He wants us to walk in visible evidence of that righteousness. He doesn't just want you to say, I do. He wants you to act like a husband. He doesn't just want you to say, I go, sir. He wants you to go and do it. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, hold your place there just a second. We're going to go to Ephesians 4 in a moment. But look at, he says, verse 12. What are the last four words of verse 12? Philippians chapter 2. With fear and trembling. I'm going to give you a very practical suggestion based on this. You got to leave room in your heart for fear and trembling if you're going to work out your salvation. You know, the Bible tells us about, the, about those who are in uh, the lost world. Those who are following according to the course of this world, the Bible says they are past feeling. Our culture is so overstimulated with entertainment and with food that we have little room for feeling. If you're going to work out the salvation that God's put in you, you're going to have to have room in your heart to feel, to feel something about God. I mean, we're, we're, we're at the crux of the message here because this is where we find room 
we find a place to want to work it out. I'm happy to tell you that salvation is eternal. That if God has given you that, you are saved eternally. But he also has a desire for us. It wasn't just something we came to him and said, God, I need. And God says, okay, here you go. God also has a desire for us. And what is that? To be conformed to the image of his son. He said, I want you to look like the Jesus that I gave you so that other people can receive that wonderful gift that you have received. A lot of people say, I just want the gift. I ain't trying to get anything else from you, God. I I don't need anything else from you. Just sign the certificate that says you don't have to go to hell, and I'm fine. You know what that is? That's a very selfish way of looking at what God's given us. God has more for you. And you know the angst that you feel in your heart? There's no one that has more problems, difficulties than a, a backslidden believer. Why? Because they don't have to be that way, and yet they are. The Bible tells us that there was a group of people, when they came back from the captivity in Babylon, who had allowed their culture, their town, their families to be carnalized, to be secularized. God used a man by the name of Ezra to instruct them in the word of God. And there's a big day where they all came together outside and they stood for six hours listening to the word of God and instruction from the Bible. And while they're standing outside, a big thunderstorm comes up and they start getting drenched. And it was a symbol, so to speak, of of God's presence coming back into Israel, cleansing the heart. But you know, as humans, our physical, our core temperature has to stay at somewhere around 98, 98.5 degrees. And when that rain starts coming down, it can start messing with that. This was a, this was a reminder that their physical bodies had been involved in taking them away from God. And he was bringing them back, saying, I am going to pour out this water on your head to cleanse and to purify. You know what the result was? The Bible tells us that they stood and they trembled at the words of God. It tells us that they trembled at the words of God, and then later on it said they were trembling because of this matter and for the great rain. I want to ask you a question, believer. How long has it been since you trembled at the word of God? What's interesting is social media, entertainment, shallow relationships, whatever you want to say, they never really make us feel deeply. They just hit us quick and then move on. I mean, you can doom scroll hours on end and every little hit of dopamine is just that, just a little nudge. And because of that, we are completely starved for true feeling. There is nothing that the digital realm can give us in this area. Nothing. It only simulates it. It's all just a bunch of ones and zeros. It's not organic. It is inorganic, and it is represented in our hearts. We don't have organic feeling. What do we have? We have a bunch of knowledge of what we should do, but we have no room in our hearts for fear and trembling. I want to encourage you this morning. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9 that the churches walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost. It is possible. God is so amazing that you can fear him and be comforted by him at the same time. No other being is like that. God wants you to fear him. You know why you don't work out your own salvation? Because you don't have any fear of God. And you know why you don't have any fear of God? Because you don't have any fear of anything. And you know why you don't have any fear of anything? Because your heart and your mind and your soul is just chock full of nonsense. Constant stimulation. All day. Every day. There's no time to stand out and look at a tree and say, wow, that's really amazing. Oh, you look at a picture or a video of a tree that somebody posted and said, wow, that's amazing. 
There's no time to actually sit on a porch and watch the cars go by. There's no time to be alone with the Bible, the precious book that God's given you. Our hearts, our minds are overstimulated, and so we constantly need fast food. We constantly need to scroll. We constantly need a movie. We constantly need music. We constantly need something. Why? Because uh, we've gotten hooked on it. And Christian, if you're ever going to work out your own salvation, you're going to have to have some fear and trembling. Maybe God will allow you in his grace to have a car wreck where you say, wait a minute, this world is actual physical place. Maybe God will, uh, because of our, our habits and actions, maybe our relationships will get strained and our little world that was so perfect is not so perfect anymore. I don't know. God is very gracious in those things. But I want to remind you that if you're going to work out your own salvation, you're going to have to do it with some fear and trembling. And you won't have any fear and trembling if you use it all up and spend all your money at the dollar store. It all starts where we'll end this morning. Verse number 13 back in Philippians chapter 2. He said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You are not striving to become like Christ. The Christian life is yielding to what pleases God. We're created for his pleasure. Not men pleasers with eye service, no. He said, God is working in you both to will, that's a desire. Do you have a desire? Good. But have you done it? When are you going to do it? If you're not going to do it, stop saying that you're going to do it. You're hurting your character. You're hurting your own trust in your own ability to do anything. You've got to... Connect the will and the doing. And the beauty of it is that you don't have to work it up. It is God which worketh in you both to will and to do. You say, well, God does everything. I just don't have anything I can. No, no, no. He said, work out your own salvation because God's already working in you. You know, the likelihood is this. The likelihood. If you you will yield to God, you'll go like a rocket. That's the kind of power God has if you'll yield to him. What does that mean? Stop living a double life. Start doing what he wants me to do. That's all it is. Use this little template here. What has God worked in you that he wants you to work out? I'm just waiting on the Lord. No, he's waiting on you. Don't blame God. He's already given you all things that pertain to life and godliness. The, the divine, we can be partakers of the divine nature. Now, what are we supposed to do? Work out our own salvation. Here's what you should think about. What has God worked in you that he wants you to work out? Here's how you do it. Identify the thought or the, pro- the thought process or the habit that you struggle most with. Think about that. What is it that you struggle most with? Fear, anger, envy, covetousness, rage, lust. What is it you struggle most with? Can you prove from the Bible that what you struggle with pleases God? Why does that matter? How is it possible we can live so much of our lives clinging to that particular thought process or habit, and yet we would never attempt to take the Bible and prove that is what pleases God? We know it doesn't please God. So what should I do? Yield to what pleases God. It's it's really too simple. Yield to what God is pleased with, not what I want. And as I yield to what God is pleased with, your flesh is going to scream and kick like a child in the grocery store. I want what I want. I'll kill you. Your flesh will tell you. You're going to die. 
It's over with. Your life is finished. You'll never be cool again. You never were cool to begin with. You'll never be popular again. Probably weren't as popular as you thought. I'll never have any fun. Was it really fun? The flesh will scream and kick its feet and say, you'll die. You'll never be happy. You know what you say to that thing? You're a liar because your daddy was the father of lies. That's what you tell your old nature. Is that what Jesus said? You're of your father the devil, the lust of your father you will do. He was a liar. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar. And so you tell that flesh, no, I'm not going to do what pleases you. I know mom always did it, and I watched my grandma, and everybody in our town always did it. And I know that that's how I was raised. That's the public school I went to. That's just who we are. No, it's not. You are no longer that old nature. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And you can yield to what pleases God in your school, in your workplace. You say, that sounds really hard. No, it's actually impossible in the flesh to do. And you will end up on a cross. You will die in order to live the life that God wants you to live. But I'm happy to tell you, after the cross comes the greatest miracle of all time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. You will live in the the spirit is life because of righteousness. A righteous God could not stay dead because he wasn't guilty of the sins that he died for. And so he had to come back to life. You yield yourself to God. You're going to find out this. The life that you have always wanted to live for God, that life, you can't in your flesh. You've tried and you failed. But he can produce works in you. He said greater works than these shall he do because I go to my Father. The Holy Spirit is inside of you and he will produce in you that which pleases God. Christians, stop trying to fight to be more like God and hate yourself. I haven't prayed enough. I haven't given enough. I haven't done. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Go back to what pleases God. Yield yourself to that and then get up and do what pleases him. The beauty is this. I want to keep using that phrase this morning because it is beautiful. The greatest thing you can, I can imagine is you could be more than you ever imagined that you could be. You can do more for God. You can please God more. You can help more people, see more people saved, and bring glory to God more than you could ever imagine. How? Because you have Jesus Christ inside of you. And if you yield to what pleases him, I guarantee you, you will bring glory to God. Work out what God worked in. If you will make What pleases God, the center, you'll find room in your heart for desiring to do something that pleases God. And as you do that which pleases God, you will no longer have such a desire to live that double life. And you will be a clear testimony of God's grace to the world. Work out what God worked in. Christian, I've done my best to explain it to you this morning. The world, the flesh, and the devil will tell you. You can't do it. You've tried. It'll do your, its best to discourage you and to keep you locked away in a basement somewhere of fear and disillusionment and hopelessness and nihilism. God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love of a sound mind. God needs you in your workplace, in your school, in your home, in your community. He needs you and he needs me to work out the beautiful picture, the beautiful nature of Jesus Christ that he has worked in. And if you yield to it, God will do it. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.